0: Sales is the lifeblood of business. It is a role that cannot be completely replaced by robots or artificial intelligence. This is The Healthy Business Show. I'm your host, Fred Rode, and in this episode, we're in the rarefied air of having not one but two students of sales in our midst. Sean Raymond is the founder of the sales department, and Claire van Vake is a certified financial advisor at Discovery. We're going to try and deep dive into the art and science of sales and really try and uncover the dark secrets of selling. Claire, Sean, welcome to The Healthy Business Show.
1: Thanks for having us today.
0: Thanks for the opportunity,
2: Fred. It's awesome being here.
0: Sean, I'm going to start with you. You've worked across the board in different regions, done big B2B sales pitches, blue chip companies. You're also a financial analyst by qualification, which seems very different to the traditional image of uh, of a salesperson, you know, which is this kind of large Brash, pushy, kind of cocky dude who wants to just close, 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 and sign in the line that is dotted. Do you think your financial background has has helped in the sales? I mean, that seems sort of uh, anathema to that traditional image.
2: So yeah, I understand the point you're making, Fred, and it's a valid one because there's a place for all of those kinds of salespeople. But certainly in the consultative selling space and in the B two B selling space, having a financial acumen. Uh, as a tool in your armory is a is a major asset.
0: Sean just to clarify, what is it that you actually sell? I mean, now currently in your current guise
2: So, the sales department is the name of our business and we sell professional sales management as a service. So, very often entrepreneur led or owned businesses struggle to afford, you know, sales management journeymen in their businesses because sales managers who know their worth are very expensive and companies in that sort of 30 to 100 million rand turnover mark struggle to justify the existence of a full-blown sales manager in the organization. So we come in and we do the 20% that makes 80% of the difference for 50% of the cost.
0: That's very meta. So you're selling sales, basically?
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Awesome. Okay, well, then you're perfect for this show. That's awesome. So Claire, (laughs) you're one of Discovery's most respected financial advisors, uh, according to your colleagues and teammates, uh, I've been asking around, and you're clearly super passionate about assisting others and being quite generous to others, uh, just judging from your, your resume. And I, I'm curious to know how that has lended itself to you know, how effective you are as a salesperson.
1: So, Wow. Thank you for that compliment. I, I have a, a real faith in people and I probably have an altruistic view to, to life out of the common sales place. And I really, really enjoy loving my clients and I don't have to learn it. It comes rather naturally. It's not fake and it's not put on. And I think that is probably my biggest skill is being able to go out and connect at a deeper level sure. with all my clients and probably doing it a lot faster. And I've developed this over time because it's it's kind of soul-bearing when you go out and you really want to connect with someone. I find the best way to do it is to give a lot more of yourself before they start giving over to you.
0: And just so to ask the same question for context to our listeners, what is it that you sell?
1: I, I sell insurance. I sell risk. I sell calamity protection. So I permanently go out and painting a picture of disaster happening <laughs> in your business. And, but fear not because there is a solution available for it. Okay.
0: So I'm not going to invite you to the next briar that I'm going to. (laughs) Well, actually, I will because I I know that you you hold the the keys to all those solutions. So (laughs) I want to know from you, Claire, and I'll I'll ask you, Sean, the the same question. Well, two questions, actually. So the first question is, which is more important? Is it generating sales or hiring good people?
1: So I'm definitely a people Orientated individual, so I believe if you do what is right in hiring the correct people, sales come as a natural progress thereof. But I would actually take it one step further and I just elaborate a little bit on the question you've got there. So often, if someone asks me, is it about the sale or is it about the person you're selling to? And for me, if you take enough time, care and attention to focus on that person to really establish what their real need is, the sale comes naturally. So uh, probably more psychology than hard sales, probably more empathy than um, are you going to buy my product? And leading into that, why having the right salespeople is important and support staff is because it doesn't finish once a sale's made. It only starts. So journey in sales actually only starts once that line is signed, the dotted line is signed. It's actually what happens after that that Mm. becomes the most important part of sales because especially in what I do selling insurance or risk management or risk protection you really only know how good I am once your restaurant burns down once your car (laughs) is stolen. I can take it as far as many other scenarios but for me it's, it's the after-sales that become so crucial in making the whole sales process efficient.
0: Sure. Okay. So th- I guess then the second question is what makes a, a great salesperson? I mean, you mentioned empathy. You mentioned a few things, and, and obviously you're great at connecting with people. But in your mind, if you had to define what makes a great salesperson?
1: I think there's three factors that I would stick to. Number one is someone who's highly passionate. And I can elaborate on that, but I mean, I think we all understand being passionate, believing in what you do and believing that it is in the best interest of who you're selling to is, is so crucially important. So the second one is an ultimate optimist. So being that ultimate optimist leads on from passion and you are the person that can see everything as overcomable. Hmm. You can overcome any situation, any scenario, whether it's through a protection or whether it's being able to analyze it and work your way through it. And the third one is discipline. I believe if you do want to be good at anything, being disciplined, sticking to routine, doing the right thing all the time actually leads to success.
0: That's amazing. So passion Optimism and discipline. I think that's great, and I think something that resonates with me is I keep remembering the chapter in Good to Great, the book by Jim Collins, which everybody should really read, uh, about the Stockdale Paradox, where he talks about, you know, having this eye on the details, really, you know, look at the facts and 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 confront those brutal facts, but never give up hope. And I think that's a, it's such an important perspective on all areas of business, but I think with sales as well. I mean, I think it's. Uh, you know, it, it can really be defined in that characteristic, right? To to really understand the facts, but then also have that optimism as well, and not a blind optimism, like a real kind of defined optimism. So, Sean, I want to turn to you then and ask the same questions. I mean, more important, generating sales or hiring good people, and then what constitutes a a great salesperson?
2: For me, you know, if if sales was a mathematical problem. Uh, Human beings are 70% of the solution or 70% of the equation. Fundamentally, people sell. Fundamentally, people buy. But it's relationships in between that do the selling. And without great people in the right job doing it well, you can forget about sales. Sales will not be generated unless you have the right people in the role. So to answer your second question, Fred, I think what makes great salespeople – they all tend to start with E's, and I call this the three E's. They must have energy, a huge amount of energy. They must be able to energize others, and they've also got to have the edge. The edge comes down to that individual's ability to think critically about a particular situation or a problem, and then execute on it and make sure that they're impossible to forget by the time they've left the room and for weeks after that person has to hold all the keys and if they leave the room without a deal, they've still got to have all the keys in the hand because the customer at the end of the day has to look back on that one day and go, I wish we did that deal if they didn't. And that will always come down to how well that person thinks critically in advance of whatever situation it is or whatever problem it is that they're trying to solve for their prospect and then they've got to execute on it and make that come alive and then deliver on those promises. The thing that I loved about what you said, Claire, is the fact that sales is what happens afterwards. It's also about what happens before. And it's the sum total of those two parts because selling is about client acquisition and it's about client retention. If you're losing customers faster than you're finding them, it's a losing game. You could have the best sales acquisition team on the planet, but if you're
0: losing them, it means zero. Mm, That's great. And obviously, it's a deposit into the future. If you creating this great experience after the fact and after the, the line has been signed, you're going to have this team, this army of salespeople doing your work for you. So I, I love that. And I love the the three E's as well, energy, energize others, and the edge. Now, if I look at the two of you, I mean, obviously, there's, there's quite a lot of overlap in terms of what you do and what you sell. But I'm going to kind of Put you, Claire, into the, the B2C, uh, the, the business to consumer bucket for, for the purposes of this, this interview. And Sean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rely on you for the B2B stuff. Can I ask each of you, just in terms of how do you see the difference in terms of the attitudes and approaches and the, the kind of characteristics required for those two approaches? How would you define them?
1: So, B2C, the main aim I have is being client centric. It actually is all about. The client. It's all about delivering the needs or the expectations that I have set to the client. It can be quite an involved process: prospecting, getting in front of a client, getting a client to listen to you, getting a client to trust you, have that faith and belief in you and your product. Because it's not just the product you sell. You actually, as a salesperson, sell yourself. And then It is, what am I going to do after this process? So I think it breaks down into three different areas. Prospecting is getting the hook into the client and wanting them to draw you into them as opposed to you just always wanting to draw clients in. And that sometimes means going out in my industry and I have to go find clients I must be honest with you, people don't really always like insurance and they see insurance as a grudge purchase and they often think that there's much more that they can do with that money. So that's the first obstacle that I really have to overcome. Then it is a matter of getting in front of the clients and doing a value proposition. So what is your value proposition in sales? What is my differentiator? What is going to make me and my team get you to believe in us more than the next person down the road. And that is when having to position all of that to you, put your proposal in front. So obviously, coming from a highly regulated environment, there certain processes that we need to comply with in that. And being able to make it not tedious, not boring, not too monumental for a client to say, okay, well, let's engage. And it takes time to Get it right. I'll be honest with you. And I've been doing this for 15 years. And if I go back to my first sale, I closed it took like, I don't know, seven appointments. And I wouldn't have bought from me if the truth be told. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think um, having a teachable spirit to yourself and being open to honest criticism, I, I don't believe criticism is negative or positive. I believe all criticism is highly beneficial if you're prepared to take it on board and filter out what is applicable to you. So fortunately, I've tried to learn that skill along the way and change the way I do things based on my clients, based Mm -hmm. on the people who are appointing me to look after their business or their family should something go horribly wrong. So that's prospecting, then we move on to the sales and then moving on to the delivery of the sale, if I want to put yeah. it that way, which is, if I'm really, really truthful, where a lot of things tend to go wrong in the sales environment. I do believe there's incredibly uh, passionate, uh, knowledgeable salespeople out there, but being able to carry the sale forth and deliver what you've promised is is very important so that 's where our focus on who my team is
0: and in terms of i suppose the the negative impact of when you don't keep your promises it's probably very difficult to measure because there's so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes that's going to then have ripple effects on your business so that it's it's very interesting to me that you zero in on that after sales delivery which i think a lot of people would would negate they wouldn't see that it's almost like the celebration comes upon that signature and then uh, and then they kind of let it go into cruise control and i think that's possibly a huge mistake. So there's a lot of things. I mean, prospecting, proposing value, listening, having empathy, uh, having a teachable spirit, constructive criticism of yourself and being able to allow yourself to be taught, I guess, is great. And then that delivery of sales, again, it's such a consistent thread. If I look at you and, and what you do and what you teach people, Sean, is it vastly different? How would you see the framework of a B2B environment?
2: You know, Sales management is not a copy and paste model that can just be applied all over the place. It's something that needs to be completely customized for every business. So what we use, we call it our weaponized process. And part of the reason why it's weaponized is because it is customizable. It's shapeable, and you can take this process and put it over any business. But that fundamentally should be the mindset of any sales manager coming into a job on day one is having a look at what this business is about understanding who are the people that are in this business and what are the tools do to I have to be able to execute on that mandate. The fundamental here is the most successful models that I've seen are the models that place the customer at the center of their business processes or their sales processes. So in the B2B space, and I think this is where it's fundamentally different to the B2C space, is um, people will engage B2C environments when they have a need or a desire, and will entertain B2C sales pitches when the sales pitch is well-timed, well-positioned, and the person who they're engaging with is very welcoming. In the B2B space, I think it's very different. For me, if customer centricity is the core aspect of what it is that drives the reason why you're engaging with a particular prospect, you end up Finding yourself as a salesperson, you end up finding yourself in the room, often knowing more about the prospect's problem than they themselves do. And for me, closing is not an art. Closing is something that you do habitually from the beginning of your sales conversation. And once you've established value in the sales process, only then and only then are you in a position that you can close. And establishing value is about making sure that you've articulated, A, you understand your prospect's problem, B, you have a great solution, and C, they're convinced that your solution is the right answer to whatever problem it is that they have. And that is why I mentioned to you earlier, great salespeople in the B2B space are ones who've got high levels of critical thinking capability, Without that skill, without that natural capability, the fundamental is they'll never ever make the effort to go out and go and research what problems it is that their prospects are experiencing. It all boils down to how well do you know your market, how well do you know your products, and how good is your critical thinking capability to be able to map those two together. And if that, if that is the objective, you can take a flimsy sales process or a flimsy sales methodology and map that over, that core skill, and it'll still work. And then it just comes down to great sales management being in place in order to make sure that that sales methodology and that sales process is continuously optimized in order to shorten your sales cycle. And the more times you can repeat that process, the more success you'll gain. And that's why a shorter sales cycle with a punchier pitch, delivering solutions to complex problems, is what makes your revenue problems go away.
0: I love that. I think the story that comes to mind is there was a story about an IBM sales guy. I think it was Fortune or Forbes did an article about this guy being the best sales guy in the world. He was based in India and he was doing these big sales, uh, you know, for for big parastatals and big companies in India, and his secret source was essentially that customer centricity. But digging a little bit deeper, he had this thing of factory floor research. So he would actually bypass the C-suite and go straight to the factory floor and understand what Frank, the uh, forklift operator, was struggling with and understanding what was going on at that level and then going back to the C-suite and the boardrooms where they hardly ever <laughs> went down there yeah. and explaining what Frank, the forklift operator, was, was battling with defining that problem and where the hitches in the supply chain was actually happening yeah. and explaining it to them so defining the problem better than they could even which uh, it was pretty much what you said then i think you know hence why he was the best sales guy that they could identify this has become something that um
2: is critical to modern day selling success the phrase that is thrown around now is called covering the buying center Um, In your buying center, you could have anything from a user, influencer, endorser, sponsor, or a coach. And when you cover all of those people in the buying center and you're deriving what are the real problems in this business, and you're extracting those and you're understanding how individuals in those businesses are measured, what's stopping them from performing at their optimal levels, and then you start matching that to a solution in order to make their problems go away. By the time you get to the C-suites, you can look at them and say, So you've got a 25 million rand a year problem because your processes or your solutions or your systems only offer you an 80% efficiency on your entitlement value and you're okay with that. If I could make that other 20% go away, how much more money would that make you? Mm -hmm. And the fundamental comes down to them probably being able to say, well, another 10 bar per annum. And if that means they've got to pay you a million rand once off to make that problem go away, that's a great value proposition.
0: I'm going to ask both of you a hard question, or I suppose it's a hard question, but which is more difficult? B2C or B2B? I know both of you have a, experience in both, but if you had to, with a gun to your head, say which, which one is more difficult, which one would you say? Start, start with you, Sean. To be absolutely honest, I think there's a reason why I'm in B2B sales, and that's because it's, I find
2: it a much more logical approach. Um, it's problem solving you have the ability to really think about what you're doing and you move away from that from the the numbers game the cyclical numbers game and you can evaluate why you're winning and why you're losing for me b2c is definitely not my comfort zone and i think i would find it very difficult to be honest Okay.
1: So I would say the converse. Uh, I think BC is my <laughs> that's comfort kind of, that's zone. kind of what I was Cool. <laughs> it is definitely uh, my comfort zone. I like the permanent reassessing, reanalyzing because selling a product to a client, especially in my environment, is not, as we've said earlier, it's not a once-off. It actually is a revisitation, an annual revisitation, sometimes bi-annually. You mentioned the word, it's logical, it's structured, it creates frameworks in which you can make decisions. I would almost say selling to a client is illogical. It is not always structured because you've got a different person with a different filter and a different frame of reference that you're dealing with every single day. So I think we have to be very creative. We've got to be empathetic. And, you know, I didn't emphasize it earlier, but the knowledge base that we have to work off has to fundamentally be the strongest to be able to help our clients.
0: That's very cool. I think on that note, I just wanted to know just for maybe our listeners' context, Claire, how do you set your own sales targets? I mean, do you over-pitch it? Do you under-pitch it? How do you set a target for yourself?
1: Are you asking me, how do I run my business? Essentially,
0: how do you set those numbers? I Because mean, I think there's two different opposing views. Some people would say, aim you know, for Mars and you'll get to moon and then that's good, right? And other people say, well, you know, under promise, over deliver, and then you'll be happy with your performance.
1: How do think, you approach that? So I approach it on a much more calculated mathematical base. I assess my previous year's performance. And my aim is to improve on that by 20% year on year. So then it's a matter of sitting down and saying, well, if that's the overall expectation of growth I want out of the business, how am I going to do it? And bearing in mind when I say that's the growth I'm aiming for, I mean not losing or having attrition in the the foundation of client base that I have currently. So it becomes that very uh, intricate, um, dynamic Annual business plan to say, right, how am I going to keep my clients that are with me satisfied, feeling loved at every touch point, having numerous touch points? And by the same token, how am I going to go out and prospect and find more clients? But my round figure is 20% per annum.
0: Okay, so we've got the um, mathematical framework. Sean, how do you uh, approach it? So we've got a lot of clients. We've got varied customers um, that work in different markets,
2: and we start with strategy. We formulate sales strategies that have a look at um, who are the prospects in the markets that we're looking to attain over the next financial period, who are the ones that we've got, which are the ones we're going to retain, what are the actions that need to be conducted in order for us to win those prospects, and we we then target them. And I think that's a luxury of being in the B2B space is you can go out and you're going to look for those strategic accounts that have got um, large and varied supplier and customer networks that once you've knocked over the big one, their entire ecosystem can unravel in your favor as well. And that is what strategy is. It's around how do we work smarter in order to achieve that specific outcome within a desired time frame? And then is that enough? And if it's not enough, then how do we do more? What are the resources that we require? It might mean we've got to grow the sales team by 30%, whatever, whatever. Fundamentally, it's about understanding what the number is for the period, how we got there, and then defining what is each individual in the team's responsibility, whether that be target or behavior, that is going to drive um, effort and is that effort going to generate the result that we're looking for? And then great sales management or great management period across the board, and this talks to any division within any organization that runs a strategy, is holding a keep people accountable, giving them the feedback to deliver the piece, and providing the reward when they do. So at the end of a period, there's no questioning like, why didn't we meet our strategic objectives? Why didn't that objective materialize? Mm, you know it. Mm. It's there. It's on black and white.
0: That's great. You spoke earlier about a um, customizable sales process that you can transplant over any business, right? So, I mean, can you speak a little bit into that? I mean, I guess that's in the IP of what sales department does, but can you speak in broad strokes to that?
2: 100%. So, I think the high-level points for me are we analyze right in the beginning what are the steps that an actual opportunity needs to go through in order for it to reach a maturity stage of either closed one or closed lost, And we break that down so that we understand what is the likelihood of each one of those stages closing, and we will write up what those steps are. So it could be, and this is a very basic example, it could be a lead-in contact-made Meeting secured, needs defined, um, proposal submitted. So, those are the sales stages. But then it's about being completely prescriptive about what those sales stages are. So, when you get to sales stage two, this is what you got to do to progress it through to sales stage three. But each company and every sales organization, that whole step is completely unique to them. And the way that we do that is we go and analyze what is history telling us about this organization's. Success ratios. So we will look at every single deal won and every single deal lost for a particular period and understand when this opportunity got to that stage, why did it die? And then we'll completely customize that process and we generate revenue forecasting based on that. And once that red revenue forecasting is alive in an organization, it actually determines what sales activities are required from each individual based on how they're doing against their targets.
0: If we look at B2C and the framework that you would apply to the process that you deploy, Claire, is there, are there some salient points that you could speak to?
1: I think it goes back to what I touched on a little bit earlier. So it is, it is about prospecting sure. and understanding, especially in our arena, how to prospect and understanding who your target market is. Who are you going to go out? and start to, to look for business amongst, so or where are you going to position yourself? So it does start with prospecting. It uh, definitely then comes down to your value proposition. So once you have a prospect, and if you're fortunate to be able to sit or present to them, what is your value proposition? And I come back to that, and it's, that would be the key phrase in our arena at the moment, is value proposition. With a lot of the legislative overhauls, it is going to be, how can I make myself better for you? then the next financial advisor down the road. I think historically it would be I sell a product, therefore I am a good advisor. I think now it's very different. It's a matter of what am I bringing to your party Mm. to actually make this a value proposition.
0: Can we talk a little bit into that, the value proposition and how you would actually define that? Because is that not really at the heart of all of this? I mean, if you think about every single business, graduate knows the question, if you're buying a a drill, you're actually buying holes. And defining that and trying to identify that proposition and and what you actually communicate and convey to the end customer or client, how do you go about that?
1: So I've spent quite a lot of time looking at what I would determine is my value proposition. Why would you, Fred, want to appoint me to look after your financial well-being in any way shape or form? And it is a matter of documenting very clearly for me the following, what is my availability to you? What, When am I available? What can I do? If I'm not available to you to help you through any questions or crises that you may have, who is available at that point? Who are the people that I'm going to bring into trust to look after you when I'm not available?
0: Mm. So
1: it is my availability, my after-sales team that actually make whatever we do a reality – The product I choose to to sell is a big part of it. Why am I positioning this to you? Why do I believe in it? Why do I believe that this is going to fulfill every one of your needs? I need to understand that back to France. And I agree with that IBM top sales guy that would go down to the factory factory floor floor and find out about all the nitty-gritty because those are the anecdotal things which people overlook, which actually make… I think an individual, uh, a perfect salesperson.
0: So what you're saying effectively, that factory floor research element is actually applicable to the B2C environment as well. Absolutely. Which I didn't think of. That's great. Yeah, it's very helpful. So knowing who the people are, knowing the problems, knowing the environment, understanding the problems uh, that surround the individual that you're communicating with.
1: That's on the financial planning side. So yes, being able to establish what the needs are and find a solution to meet those needs. But then it becomes a little bit more complex because on this side, you need to go find the right product and how that product is engineered. And what are the costings in that product? And is it really tailor-made? And then when you put all of that together, it equals a value proposition.
0: That's probably also a big danger is to oversell or, or missell, or, you know, over communicate more than likely. And I'm asking the question, the real trap of the sales almost done, but then you, you're actually trying too hard, and you're going too far and you're pushing too hard. And, and that's probably that reticence that you, you will only gain when you're experienced as a salesperson. Well, I suppose as a human, right? Cause you, you got to understand and have, have that empathy that you spoke of earlier.
1: So I think, all successful sales people are very high in EQ. They've got a high level of EQ. You know, you get many different types of sales environments and um, I like to be in front of a client. So I think for me, having to learn the art of when to switch off was very important. Learning how to tell when I have given sufficient information. So I think it's really starting to understand yourself, learning how to pull back a bit on that, how to allow someone to talk more than me was definitely a skill I had to learn <laughs> Listen, because yeah. uh, we have one math in two years. So I think that is definitely a skill that can be learned. And learned by pretty much anyone But understanding an oversell is a big issue I think there's a lot of people that oversell Because they do not know when to stop selling
0: Both of you are very heavily involved in coaching sales So teaching sales right? So that's particularly interesting to me uh, The question of can anybody be a great salesperson? I'll start with you, Sean
2: That is a, that is a very controversial question and I think my mood and my answer changes from time to time depending on how much coaching I have or haven't done. I think the fundamental for me are there's some key ingredients to a salesperson that you've got to be able to start with. It's a bit like taking a scientist with not a single creative bone in their body and asking them to make a beautiful picture Sure. as an artist. You need a base from which to start. But coaching and mentoring and the sum of those two things in a management environment is what I call leadership. Leadership is nothing without the ability to inspire and energize others and help them execute. Is it always enough? I don't think so. There are some critical things that, that need to be in place. But what I do believe is that there are never, ever any bad employees. they are only bad managers. Because if you don't hire the right people right in the beginning and you then sit with a problem where you are unable to turn that person into an absolute sales rock star, it's your fault. So choose wisely and then coach and mentor so that they've continuously got all the right tools to be able to do their job. And then the last thing we fundamentally believe in is that feedback is the breakfast of champions. You want to turn mediocre salespeople into great salespeople, feedback's the way
0: to do it. I love that. Feedback is the breakfast of champions. Claire, your opinion.
1: I don't believe sales is for everyone. I believe it is certainly cut out for a vast majority of our population, uh, we, we taught to ourselves from the first day we go to school, if you think about it, because we want to be number one in the class. We want to get the best mark. So a part of us is engineered through our schooling system on how to come out as number one. And if you just look in that environment, not everyone excels in it. So I believe that once you've got the right individual, and I have to agree with you, Sean, there. The right person with the right energy and enthusiasm, the finer detail can be learned and acquired over time if they prepare to be taught, if they're teachable.
0: Sean, do good entrepreneurs need to be good salespeople? Great question. It's <laughs> a really cool seeing question. As you're an entrepreneur yourself and a salesperson and somebody who trains salespeople.
2: So, from a sales management perspective, and you know we fundamentally work in that entrepreneurial market, one of the things that we really love to do is to take the c e o or the founder of that business and put them back in the sales team because that business wouldn't be there unless it were for that individual's own ability to sell and I'm of the belief that there is no one better to sell your business than you and The other really cool thing that it does is it levels the business owner with the people that are in the sales team. It makes the salespeople feel like this guy or this lady knows exactly what I'm going through every day, yet they're able to do it successfully. And it also gives the CEO the business owner the opportunity to lead by example. And it's the old adage of the CEO of the of the burger company needs to know what it's like flipping burger patties. It's the exact same thing. What we do find is that often CEOs and, and business owners are the worst sales managers because what it does is it elevates them to their business owner mindset while they're managing salespeople. And the business's problems actually become the salespeople's problems. Mm-hmm. And that's unfair. For us, it's about ensuring that the right targets are set for the right individuals and then having the right management philosophies in place and having everyone in the team and having the best people in the team. So getting back to your question, the CEO or the owner is often the best salesperson in the room. We often use the equation of why would you ever take Ronaldo off the field?
0: Sure. Claire, do you want to add to that?
1: I agree with you 100%, Sean. I think when we, we look at companies that have maybe lost their way, and I'm going into your space now, have lost their way in sales a bit, you'll often find there's a detach between the guys that are doing the work and, and the person who had the dream. Mm. And we, we sometimes need to reconnect that. Well, actually, not sometimes. When that happens, you've got to reconnect it. I'm selling your dream, but you're not down here. You don't understand all the challenges that I'm facing over here. Keep me and the dream together, and I find leaders will always bring themselves down to the level of the person they are interacting with to bring them back up to the level where they are. And especially in sales,
0: very cool. I think personally, having mentored entrepreneurs, as I mean, that's my job really, and and uh, and coaching and teaching entrepreneurs. My definition of a CEO is. Uh, is as a salesperson. I see them as selling the vision internally and selling the product externally, right? Yeah. So they have to understand sales. This episode is uh, alluding to the lifeblood of the business, right? Yeah. So guys, can we talk to some of the myths then that need to be dispelled? I mean, Sean, you've created all these frameworks and you've got a company that coaches sales. Can you talk to some of those, those misconceptions? Jeez, Fred, how much time have we got? <laughs> My... Personal pet
2: hate is the pay people a low basic and and high comm structure. I fundamentally hate that. For me, if you want to win, winning is about ensuring that you're doing things at least 30 to 40% better than your competitors at all times. One of those things means paying your salespeople 30 to 40% more than your competitors prepared to pay them. Because even when you get those good people, and I said this earlier, 70% of the problem is people. You have to solve for that problem. And if you want to attract and keep those good people or those great people in your organization, the fundamentals are you need to give them a reason to stay.
0: I think every salesperson listening to this podcast right now is loving you. The
2: worst people to manage are the ones who can't come to work for the last five days of the month because they didn't earn commission last month. Sure.
0: You want to take that off the table, right?
2: 100%. Pay people what they're worth. The other misconception that I really want to dispel and, and, uh, you know, I'll use as much time as required in order for me to do this and if it's the last thing I fix on this earth on my time on earth then this is what it'll be. Sales is a profession. Just like everything else it's a profession. The only difference is and reason why people don't see it as a profession is because it's something that you cannot go and study. You can't go to university and get a degree in sales. You can get a degree in marketing, engineering, finance, whatever. You cannot do it in sales. Yet It's the one thing in an organization that if you do not have revenue, you do not have a reason to exist. So treat salespeople like they are professionals. Allow them their time in the sun. Listen to them because they're the voice of your customer in your organization. And as a result, employ the right people. I'm going to keep on saying this. Employ the right people and make sure that they are capable of understanding customer problems they're capable of understanding exactly what it is that your business needs to do for your customer base and often that means paying more than you're prepared to treating them like professionals making sure you do not hire people that fell into sales because they failed at something else
0: mm.
2: choose the salespeople that chose sales as a career
0: it seems to me quite ironic that if you look at all the trends forecasting happening today with the fourth industrial revolution and how things are changing that you know 90 percent of all current jobs are going to be absolute by you know 2050 except for sales there's always going to be a need for sales do you want to add to that Claire?
1: i wholeheartedly agree with you just in general sales people are dynamic passionate and they tend to uplift uh A corporation or an environment. So give them their time in the sun. Let them be the voice to the client back to you. So I fully agree with that. So the remuneration structures that are often packaged around salespeople are very interesting from one organization to another. I think one of the other myths uh, around sales is sales is easy. I think you've got to be crazy if you think selling something's easy. Sales is definitely not easy, but once you find your groove or your initial, the right product or the right environment, I think you find something that works for you and you can add value to a business, build your own business. So it's definitely not an easy profession to follow.
0: Sean, Claire, every question seems to bring about 10 new questions. But I want to ask you one final question of each of you. What are some of the, the actionable tips or the tools or resources or hacks that you could recommend to our listeners? And let's start with you, Claire, in terms of potentially from a B2C perspective. Are there any things that you can recommend?
1: So I would recommend the following. Start with routine in your life. Wake up at the same time every day. Have a process that you start your day off with. I wake up at half past three, quarter to four every day. That's I'm sitting amazing. at my desk at quarter past four in the morning, and I do all my admin work between four and half past six in the morning. And that leaves my day free for me to go out and engage with clients and not worry about paperwork and administration that I feel I haven't actually attended to so set your routine I would say as someone in sales keep your routine pretty solid because it is a discipline that will carry across your clients be passionate love people when you go out there stick to what you promise to deliver and above all be ethical in everything you do
2: the primary hack for me I think is number one Make the customer the center of your universe. So this is the B2B space, and I think it applies to the B2C space as well. Really understand what it is that your customers are going through when they are dealing with your company after you've sold them, whatever it is that you do or offer. But also really understand what it is that they're going through before you put a solution in front of them. Take the time, research the company, cover the buying center. The other thing, and this is more of um, – it's more a piece of advice or a hack for entrepreneurs that are looking to grow their sales teams or implement sales in their businesses is calculate the cost of failure. It's very easy in an organization to grow yourself broke, meaning hiring 10 salespeople and only two work out. And at the end of the process, you've got no cash flow to afford to pay the good ones who really actually delivered the results, and they end up leaving anyway. The key here is take the time. To interview the people, make absolutely certain that the people that you hire are the right people, that you'll be putting in the right job and that they can execute well. And only hire the ones that are going to be great and give them the time of day and make absolutely certain that they succeed. And then calculate the cost of failure. If you're a really good interviewer, like a phenomenal interviewer, you'll get two out of three right. But in general, two out of 10 salespeople work out in companies that they join. And that statistic really leaves a mark on your balance sheet or your income statement at the end of the day. So if you're a business owner, calculate the cost of that failure, improve your ability to interview and make sure that you pick the right team. And even then, only 60% of them will work
0: out. Thank you, Sean, Raymond, Cliff, and Beck This has been an illuminating session. Really, really helpful. I think to to me personally, I think I've learned such a lot, and uh, it's just a, such a rich source of information from both of you and both of your quite diverse and varied careers. But I love the fact that there were such beautiful overlaps as well at the same time. So thank you for your time, and and thank you for the wisdom that you've shared with us.
1: Thank you, guys.
0: Awesome. Thank you very much for having us, Fred. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Business Show. If you love this podcast, do let us know via social media. Tag at discovery underscore SA. Use the hashtag DSY healthy business and please do rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Whether it's Apple, Spotify or wherever you find your shows. You can also find more episodes on the Discovery website at discovery.co.za forward slash corporate forward slash podcasts.